Look, Bumble knows you're exhausted by dating. All the, must not take yourself too seriously, and 6-1 since that matters, and what do I even say other than, hey? <sighs> well, that's why they're introducing an all-new Bumble. With exciting features to make compatibility easier, starting the chat better, and dating safer. They've changed, so you don't have to. Download the new Bumble now. Ho, 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 hello, junkies! What are we doing today? Welcome to the Gangster episode number four. This marks one full month of Das Gangsterino crammed into your ear holes. Hey, no ads this episode, so if that's been bugging you, you get a week off. Fantastic. We are over 550 reviews posted for Mount Fitzroy over at audible.com. If you rated and reviewed, thank you, thank you, thank you. If you heard the audiobook and haven't rated or reviewed yet, please consider doing so. After buying the books, constant word of mouth is the single biggest success factor for an author. That's telling your friends and family, posting stuff online, etc. Rating and reviewing is the second best thing you can do after buying the actual books. Because when you do that, it helps keep tripping those algorithms And when the algorithms tick, that helps spread the stank while you sleep. What more could you want out of life than to smear a bunch of stank all over the place? That Sigler stank. It's it's thick. It's wonderful. A bit odiferous, but it's really not that bad. A and I wish you all our love to you and yours this holiday season. Merry Christmas. Happy Hanukkah. Happy Kwanzaa. And of course, Festivus for the rest of us. Let's get caught up on the story so far, and then it is game time. Previously on The Gangster, Quentin is still trying to come to terms with the absence of Coach Hokor the hook chest. Quentin finds himself questioning everything in his life. His position on the team, his possible future without football, his trouble with Greedock, and his relationship with the land of his birth. Through it all, Becca has been there for him. But as his life continues to fall apart, will she, too, leave him alone? Find out next on The Gangster, episode number four. Welcome to The Gangster, book six in the Galactic Football League series. Written and performed by Scott Sigler. The Gangster is suitable for ages 12 and up and contains graphic violence. The Gangster is also available as a signed, numbered, limited edition hardcover while supplies last. To order, go to scottsigler.com store. Love conquers all. Becca held his hand, led him through the regulator's corridors, and back to the landing bay. It was all a blur, his eyes and ears tracking information that his brain didn't care about because his brain was busy with the monumental task of taking one step, then another, then another. So exhausted. The bomb, Sandoval, the Galaxy Bowl, his arm, Coach, Ganagati, the Abernessia, the Guild, The pending trip to Earth, Quentin just wanted to sleep. One step, then another, then another. She led him into the shuttle bay. The echoes of voices and clanging machinery and rolling wheel trucks. 
He glanced around at the half-dozen ships nestled into large stalls. A small cargo hauler. A half-disassembled shuttle, its impulse engines exposed. A gleaming white shuttle with the GFO logo painted on the side. The commissioner's personal craft. Then, the sleek, predatory vision that was the Hypatia. Fred and Janine had been attacked while in that yacht, right about the time Quentin was winning his first Galaxy Bowl. To stay alive, they'd fled into the Portath Cloud, a place from which ships never returned. Quentin and his friends, including Cormorant Bumberpuff, a Prowat cornerback for the Krakens, had gone into the cloud after Fred and Janine. During that rescue attempt, Quentin learned that Petra had been behind the attack on the Hypatia. Petra wanted to deliver a message to the isolationist Portath, a message that the Abernessia were coming. She'd put a piece of her programming in Bumberpuff, giving her a sort of face-to-face chance to speak with the Portath. Delivering that message had been Petra's only objective. She hadn't cared about putting Janine and Fred in mortal danger. The two might still be trapped in the Portath cloud if not for the brutal heroism of John Tweedy, who had won a duel to the death to earn their freedom. The Portath had overhauled the Hypatia, loaded it with advanced tech better than what most militaries had to offer. Coated in platinum iridium armor, the Hypatia gleamed, its smooth lines and blue sheen promising danger in the way a quiet, unafraid man does in a bar full of loud-mouthed braggarts. Fred and Shoto stood at the foot of the Hypatia's open ramp. They each said something to Quentin, but he didn't register it. Becca said something back. Quentin didn't register that, either. Becca led him up the ramp. Chodo's exposed chitin caught Quentin's eye. Among the engravings and enamels that decorated the warrior's chest were two new markings. One, a name engraved in stylized English, Climber FB-28. The second, an enameled image of Coach Hokor, an image so detailed that Coach wore a ball cap complete with an orange and black Kraken's logo. One step, then another, then another. Quentin found himself in his stateroom, sitting on the edge of his bed. Becca sat next to him, softly petting the back of his head. How long had he been sitting here? Just a few seconds, probably. Time had lost relevance. Sorry, he said. I seem to be out of it. Everything in his stateroom seemed duller than it had before. The color seemed less, as if now coated in black dust. Like the black soot that covered Kopor the Climber's torn body, the warrior's middle right arm ripped off along with much of his midsection, red blood smeared across jagged chitin, his eye staring, lifeless. Of course you're out of it, Becca said. I've had a few days to think about things. You haven't. After the attack, we all had to focus on prepping for the Galaxy Bowl, and then right after the game, Pata put you under. I think you're only now beginning to process what happened. Was Kopor's death on Quentin's hands? Was Coach's? Quentin had kept quiet about Sandoval's mods. Had that been a mistake? A lethal mistake? Maybe this is my fault. Becca's hand stopped petting. Don't even think that. Her words were soft in volume, loud in intensity. Sandoval was trying to blackmail you about a church that you had nothing to do with. You beat him at his own game. You didn't hire someone to hurt him or kill him like Greedock would have done. If you'd gone to Fros, Sandoval might have told the Kretorakian Ministry of Religion the truth about how many members were in the COQB, and you might be in some unknown prison, like Yitzhak is. 
you found a brilliant way to be free of the CMR, that ridiculous church, and Sandoval. You couldn't have possibly known he'd go on a rampage. Quentin, none of this is your fault. She sounded so adamant that it almost convinced him. Trevor Haney, trying to stop the blood pouring from Nancy Wolf's thigh. Fonga Cal, literally gutted, the bomb blast splattering his insides in black blood across a bulkhead. Bobby Brobst shot in the face. And, at the end, Coach. Becca didn't know that Sandoval's assassination attempt hadn't been about revenge. Should he tell her about the Gil Dabernessia connection? No. If she knew, that might put her in greater danger. Quentin needed to put this insanity behind him. He had many problems to deal with, but one, above all others, required his absolute focus. We're going to Earth, he said. Ganagati has a clinic there. They have an experimental procedure that will fix up my arm. No point in telling Beck about the risks of that procedure. His mind was made up. Traveling to Earth is dangerous right now, don't you know, Becca said. It's like you forget that someone is trying to kill you. Quentin fought back a flicker of anger. Ganagati's procedure is my only chance to get back on the field. And don't you want to go to Earth? Maybe you can see your parents. He felt Becca tense up, sensed she was searching for the right words. Going to Hokor's service is one thing, she said. Visiting Earth is another. If whoever's trying to kill you finds out we're going there, they'll come after you. So what? I won't let my enemies dictate my life. I won't live in fear. What do you want me to do? Stop playing football? She took his hand, laced her fingers through his. If we do stop, we could go away, she said. You and me. We'll pick a place where no one knows who we are, where Greedock can't find us. We can have a life together. A life without the game? You could do that, Becca? You could walk away from it? She considered a moment before answering. I accomplished my goals. People thought I couldn't succeed. I proved them wrong. I'm the first female quarterback to win a Galaxy Bowl. I gave my life to the game, but the game is no longer my life. If we walk away, I'll miss it. But I can be as happy off the field as I am on it. You could be happy too. You've broken records, won titles. What do you have left to prove? In the climate-ravaged world of 2072, the city of Pura stands as a miraculous green haven. Pura is a geoengineered paradise that protects its fortunate residents from the global catastrophes of heat domes, fires, floods, and droughts. In a time when the world outside is unsafe, it's vital for Pura's existence that people rally behind the purpose of the city, and Demetria Lopez, head of the city's public relations, tirelessly promotes its idyllic image. But when she stumbles on a dark secret that, if exposed, would be the downfall of Pura's existence, she must decide who and what she's willing to protect. From Wondery, the makers of Academy and Dr. Death, The Last City stars actors Ray Seahorn, Jeannie Tirado, and Maury Sterling. Follow The Last City on the Wondery app or wherever you get your podcasts. You can binge all episodes of The Last City early and ad-free right now by joining Wondery+. Plus. Hey there, this is Justin Bartha. I made a funny new podcast, King of the Egg Cream. It has the greatest cast in the history of podcasts with actors like Louis Black. I'm torn by my feelings for two women. Bobby Cannavale. You can eat it. 
Or if someone hits you, you can put it on your cut. Melanie Linsky. I wonder what these marvelous things are that look just like boiled chicken feet. Jason Ritter. I can break things and pick locks and kill people. Michael Stuhlbarg. The whole point is to inspire people that they should make themselves better. Ari Grainer. No, don't whet its appetite. What are you, an idiot? Me, Justin Bartha. That's not just any egg cream, that's a Lemke's special. And all narrated by the hilarious Richard Kind. This is the story of Harry Dalowitz and how he rose from nothing to become New York's King of the Egg Cream. So if you like funny true stories, come listen to King of the Egg Cream, available wherever you get your podcasts. She wasn't arguing, wasn't trying to trick him into an answer. She was genuinely asking because she wanted to know more about who he was. I want to be the best that ever played, Quentin said. And that's worth putting your life at risk? His life was at risk every time he stepped on the field, as was hers, as was the life of every player in the league. Becca wasn't talking about that danger, he knew, but was dying by bomb or bullet all that different from dying on the gridiron? Yes, it's worth it, Quentin said. I have to play again. It's, this is who I am. Becca stared at him, her eyes tracing his face. She smiled. She nodded. I know, she said. I know who you are. She wanted him to stay safe, just like he wanted her to stay safe. And she was right. The trip to Ganagati's clinic brought with it serious risks. I'll go to Earth alone, Quentin said. No point putting you in danger as well. In the cabin stillness, the only sound was that of her fingertips sliding against his hair. Where you go, I go, she said. That's not open for debate. Do you understand? No point in arguing. Rebecca Montaigne was an on-field badass with a will of iron. She was an all-pro, a Galaxy Bowl MVP. She hadn't achieved those things by accident. When she set her mind to something, there was no veering her off course. Quentin had to accept a hard truth. If he put himself in danger, he put her in danger. If he went to Earth, was he being selfish? Yes. He was. And he couldn't stop himself. I understand, he said. She kissed his cheek. We'll get you back on that field. You just need time. The arm is one thing. Your emotions are another. You've been through trauma. So much violence. Quentin felt the gun jump in his hand. He twitched, recoiling, his shoulder knocking into Becca. But he didn't see her or hear her. He saw Sandoval's head snapping back. He heard the dead man's face slap against a tile floor. Q, are you okay? Her arm around his shoulder, strong, holding him tight. No gun. No Sandoval. Quentin looked at his hand, at the finger that had pulled the trigger, that had taken a sentient life. I'm fine, he said. Becca rubbed his back. My love, you're not... You've been through so much in such a short time. I said I'm fine. Her hand paused. He'd all but shouted the words, his voice so loud in the stateroom. That was no way to speak to her. Becca moved her hand again, her palm making slow circles across his shoulder blades. Baby, she said, have you ever lost someone close before? She thought he couldn't handle tragedy. Maybe she knew nothing about him after all. I saw my brother hang, Quentin said. Does that shucking count? 
he instantly regretted those words. Why was he treating her like this? He didn't know. Of course that counts, she said. Let me try again. How old were you when your brother passed? When your brother passed, as if Quincy had died in his sleep on a bed of soft toys, his head resting on a pillow made from cotton candy. Quentin couldn't remember all of the hanging, it had been so long ago, but he would never forget that sharp cracking sound when the rope snapped taut. I was uh, five, I think. No, I was four. Since then, have you lost anyone you loved? He finally understood what she was getting at. I didn't love Hokor. He was my coach. I respected the hell out of him, sure, but it's not like he was family. Becca pulled the black velvet box from her pants pocket. She opened it, took out the ring. Quentin felt numb as she slid the heavy bit of metal onto his finger. He moved to take it off. She gently stopped him, held his hands in place. Hokor wanted you to have that, she said. I don't think you fully accepted what happened. You should wear that ring for a little while, at least on the Hypatia. He stared at the blue diamond. This had to be some kind of joke, everyone mocking the backwater hick from McCovey. That chunk of stone wasn't Hokor the hook chest. Trying to get coached to medical, lifting his broken body, hearing him squeal in agony, watching the light in his eye fade away, watching him end. Baby, are you okay? Again, Quentin came back to the moment. Again, Becca was at his side, looking at him with love, patience, and sympathy. He felt so strange, like he was blinking in and out of reality. I can't seem to think straight, he said. Maybe I'm messed up from being in deep reju for so long. You're grieving. The person who made you who you are was murdered. Of course that's messing you up. It should mess you up. Sometimes, Becca had a flair for the dramatic. He was a great coach, but he didn't make me who I am. I bust my ass every day to be the best. I win because I work harder than everyone else. She caressed his cheek. Without Hokor, you might still be doing that in the PNFL. Greedock didn't sign you because you were a budding star. He signed you because Hokor insisted. Hokor believed in you. She took Quentin's hand tapped the Galaxy Bowl ring. And look what's come of it. A GFL title. Two of them. All of Quentin's childhood dreams had come true. Would that have happened without Hokor? Of course it would have. Wouldn't it? Hokor took a chance on me, too. Becca brought Quentin's hand to her mouth, kissed his fingertips. And look what's become of that. Without Hokor, maybe you get in the upper tiers? Maybe you make it to Tier 1, and maybe you win a title. But there is no us. Hokor wasn't playing matchmaker when he had Greedock sign me, but that doesn't matter. Without coach, I wouldn't have you. And you are more important to me than any title, than any trophy. For as long as I live, I will treasure Hokor for this gift. Quentin felt the sting of tears. He blinked, fought them down. He felt so raw. Was he about to cry because of Hokor's death or because no one had ever loved him the way Becca did? Maybe both. He felt adrift. Becca Montaigne was the only thing keeping him anchored to reality. Quentin didn't know how to express what she meant to him. Words were empty things. 
Only actions mattered. He and Becca had fought together, lost together, won together. Their travels through space seemed to leave them unrooted. In the void, there were no traditions, no proper way of doing things. If he'd stayed on McCovey, met her there in some alternate twist of fate, it would be easy to show her how he felt. On McCovey, all a boy had to do to prove his love to a girl was... was... But he wasn't on McCovey. And did he need to be there to do what he suddenly knew was right? No, he did not. Here was right. Now was right. Becca, will you marry me? She stopped breathing. What? Marry me. She stood, walked a few steps away. She looked down at him, confusion on her face. I'm only 22, she said. So, I'm only 23. I want to be with you all my life. I don't need to wait five years or ten years or whatever to know that. Married, she said. Who gets married these days? He'd never considered proposing before, to Becca or anyone else. But even so, this wasn't the kind of reaction he'd expected. Where I come from, people get married all the time. It's part of the culture. She wiped tears from the corners of her eyes. Was that good? The purest nation? Becca shook her head. The same culture that you always tell me you couldn't wait to get away from? The most oppressive place in the galaxy? That culture? He'd said those things, many times. Coming from her, though, coming from the woman who loved him, he felt belittled, suddenly defensive of his birthplace. That culture produced me. It produced millions of people just like me, only they aren't seven feet tall and can't throw a football 80 yards. Those people don't have a chance. Just because corrupt assholes run the church doesn't mean the citizens of the nation are evil, and it doesn't mean our traditions are wrong. Had he just defended the purest nation? He had. He'd never done that before. Why had he done so now? Becca sat next to him on the bed. She took his hands. I didn't mean it like that, Q. Of course the people of your culture aren't evil. Not all of them, anyway. But you rarely talk of McCovey or the nation. All of a sudden you want to embrace purest customs? Why? A good question. Perhaps he should have thought this through before jumping in feet first. And yet, in his bones, he knew this was what he wanted. Getting married is a purest tradition, he said. But this, this isn't really about tradition. I want to be yours. I want you to be mine. I want... A thought hit him hard. The memories of being an orphan on McCovey. The constant fear. The ever-present hunger. The never-ending loneliness. Maybe he and Becca could give a child a great life, balance the cosmic scales, if such a thing were possible. I want to raise a family with you, Quentin said. She sniffed, again wiped away tears. You're, you're emotional because of the attack, Becca said. Because of Hokor and the others. I don't want you to mistake those feelings for wanting to marry me, for wanting to have children with me. He gently cupped her cheeks. You know me better than anyone ever has. Better than anyone ever will. Yeah, I'm a little messed up right now. But look at me. Do you see doubt on my face? Do I look like I'm confused about what I want? 
She stared into his eyes. She put her palms against the backs of his hands. No, she said. You know what you're asking. He smiled. Then what do you say? She pulled his hands away, grabbed his face, kissed him hard. I say yes, Quentin Barnes. Yes. She kissed him again. He pulled her close, held her tight, and realized, distantly, that they were both so strong an embrace like theirs could easily hurt a normal-sized person. More evidence that they were made for each other. Still kissing, they leaned back on the bed. Hands searched faces, tangled in hair, tugged at clothes. She kissed his neck. It felt like wet fire rippled through him from head to toe. He did the same to her, heard her moan, felt her fingernails dig into the back of his head. This was what he needed. This was life. This filled him with the light of a million suns, light that chased away the darkness. They'd kissed before, many times, and many times the heat between them had grown, but he'd always kept himself under control. She'd kept control, too, because she knew how he felt about sex, because she accepted his views even though he didn't give a damn about the religion of his youth. He didn't want control anymore. He wanted her. And she wanted him. Excitement and need poured off him, poured off her, a chain reaction that could not be stopped. But stop it, she did. Becca grabbed his shoulders, pushed him back just far enough so she could look at him. Her eyes, wide with want, gleaming, her mouth open, her chest rising and falling as if she'd just completed a set of sprints. You've waited this long, she said. If you want to wait until we're actually married, I'm still fine with that. He smelled her breath, her skin, her hair. Every scent made him want to pull her closer, to finally be with her. They weren't married yet, but they would be. They would be together. They'd confirm that the rest was just a formality. I'm done waiting, he said. Her smile became a snarl of delight. Together, they let their control slip away. You have been listening to The Gangster, book six in the Galactic Football League series, written and narrated by Scott Ziegler. Follow Scott on Instagram and Twitter, where he is at Scott Ziegler, one word, and on Facebook at facebook.com slash Scott Ziegler. For more information on the Galactic Football League series and for more free audiobook podcasts, visit scottsigler.com. The Gangster was directed by A. Sigler, engineered by Steve Rickyberg. Copyright 2020, Empty Set Entertainment. Theme music is the song Heaven's a Lie by the band Lacuna Coil. five minutes. A transplant candidate dies while waiting for a compatible heart, liver, or kidney. Imagine a technology that could provide those life-saving transplant organs for a high price, and imagine what a company would do to monopolize that technology. 
On a remote island in Lake Superior, a team of geneticists unlocks this holy grail of medicine by reverse engineering the genomes of all mammals, creating an animal with organs perfectly suitable for human transplantation. They envisioned a docile herd animal, but one team member had another, darker vision. This ancestor is anything but docile. The team's work spawns something big, something evil, something very, very hungry. Ancestor is a complete serialized fiction podcast by number one New York Times bestselling novelist Scott Sigler with all episodes available. Binge the entire story now on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you listen to podcasts.